eventually when you talk about women's rights and all this stuff, it's the hundred million ways you die every single day in these small, small things. The girl math, as they call it, you know, the constant girl <laughs> math thing, you know, uh, that, yeah, I have to be home before such and such time. Yeah. Uh, no matter I'd, how busy you are, yeah, yeah, it, no it matter works. how demanding yes, your work. Yes, yeah. it, it does work on your mind. So that, that there are a lot of fresher avenues and government is not looked at as a good employer mm. uh, option. And actually, you know, the, the money is not uh, great, but it's not bad either. Hello and welcome to the Iconic Women podcast. My guest today is an inspiring woman whose interests and areas of work span multiple fields and genres. A senior officer in the IRS, she has served in remote corners of the country, many of which she started to call home. An Oxford graduate in public policy, she was also the director of NIFT Bangalore, where she led by example, throwing herself into the field of design and design education. An avid patron of Indian craft and textiles, she is also an active Instagrammer, where she shares her many interests through the super popular handle Afsarnama. From feminism to her role as a mentor to thousands, from colonial Indian history to navigating the revenue system, she makes it all look so effortless. So join me today in discovering how Susan Thomas does all of this and more. Hi, Susan, and welcome to the Iconic Women podcast. As always, super excited to have you here. Um, thank you for coming all the way from Delhi. I know that you had to juggle quite a few things in your schedule. So really appreciate having you here. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, you know, even the conversations in the run up uh, to this, right. I mean, we, you know, probably the audience sees only the last bit of it, but the, the run up and the process has been equally invigorating. Thank you so much for having me over. You know, um, Susan, I wonder about you. You know, you are a person who's kind of segued from one thing to another so seamlessly and effortlessly. Um, you seem to be a very multi-talented individual. You've worked in the IRS as a senior officer and then to NIFT Bangalore as the director and then I think now back to the IRS, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and besides that, you've also got all these other interests. So there's craft, there is design, yeah. uh, and I'm sure there's several other <laughs> things like there's history and literature, right? Um, but but my question to you is, what was it about your formative years, about your childhood, about your growing up years that that made you a person who's who's open and who's curious and who was possibly experimental mm -hmm. as well? Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's very difficult to sort of you know put your finger on just that one thing. But uh, I think I've always been uh, a child uh, with a lot of curiosity and wonder. And as, as this famous saying goes that, you know, wisdom comes or starts with wonder, uh, you know. So I have moved places um, thanks to dad's job, which was transferable. And probably the longest time that I have stayed in one city and one uh, home has been the last stint of Bangalore, which is uh, okay. a straight unbroken uh, 10 or 12 years. I have been someone who has done a lot of things, even as a child. So I've spent a lot of my time in Kotem in my formative uh, years. And as is customary in many parts of the country, summer vacation, you're packed off to your nanny's house. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, and that's you know, so I was born in Kotem. I was baptized in Kotem. Uh, my mom's family owns a church. 
so, you know, I have had a very, uh, what shall we say, a childhood which has uh, had a lot of stimuli, a lot of people in it, doing a lot of jobs, and it was never a secluded uh, feudal sort of thing. We were allowed to freely mingle and go around. So I have, um, you know, done the bluing with Tinopal. Um, I have ironed, um, you know, with that heavy iron, with the coal uh, bit of it, and and seen that process of, I mean, you know, how it creases, how you have to maneuver through the collars and right. things of that sort. I have stitched. I have broken frankincense for the church with hammer and uh, things mm -hmm. like that. I have farmed, uh, climbed up mango trees, um, you know, picked cloves, uh, picked uh, uh, spices. So it's I've and, and then in the process read a lot, stitched, sewed, done a lot of embroidery, done a lot of crochet uh, with my hands, um, studied. So it's it's it was a pretty action-packed and pretty full day. And you know, practically not much of TV even now as a person, not much of television or yeah. watching, so to speak. And so all those stimuli somewhere have joined the dots for me. So when I um, went into NIFT as well, it was not by default, it was by design. I mean, I applied for it, um, I interviewed for the job, and then I was selected from amidst the applicants. Even there, I mean, it was, my mandate was only administration, but I plunged, uh, you know, dived headlong into design and understanding the process and faculty, talking to faculty, sitting with them for long and understanding about the processes and about their academic backgrounds, which is very different from mine. So uh, I've always looked at everything with a lot of wonder uh, and with a deep yearning to learn, even now. Uh, mm -hmm. So even when I talk to my students, 18-year-olds, uh, 20-year-olds, it's not a talk down, but on an equal footing always that they have as much to teach me as much as I have to offer something to them. Right. And that learning from people uh, across spectrum, uh, across spectrum, have always helped me uh, in good stead. Right. Um, so you you know you spoke about design and we'll yeah. speak about that a little more a little further down in into this chat. Um, but is is design something that you were always interested in? Uh, you know, just kind of looking around your world, um, trying you know sort of observe observing and imbibing right. whatever you could, or is it something that that fell into your lap when when NIFT happened to you? Um, so I would say that, you know, NIFT probably gave me uh, um, a, a lens through which I can view it academically, but I was always uh, interested in design. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of this conversation on design thinking is very American um, in its uh, origin and in, in, in the academic practice as well. But, uh, you know, I think you know, when we are doing up a home as well, and my mom does a home very well, and, you know, she has, she really doesn't talk about design, but I have, you know, she's one person whom I uh, have seen do beautiful creations on the flowers mm -hmm. with whatever is given to her. And, you know, Kerala being this bowl of biodiversity, there is never a dearth of, you know, a dried palm frond or, you know, a, a driftwood or um, a coffee root or something of that sort. And till date, I mean, you know, you give her a small sprig of fern um, and, a, and a driftwood or something of that sort, and she'll, she'll magically create it with a lot of balance. If I tell her about visual clutter and clean lines and things like that, probably she wouldn't understand. But she's organic with it. So I've, I, uh, I've come to believe that, you know, we all do a lot of design and you know, a lot of aesthetic appreciation in our day-to-day -day life, but we don't view it from an academic point of view always. So to that extent, NIFT gave me uh, an academic grounding to, you know, to base everything on, to understand principles, to understand that, you know, eventually the audience that views it, they are also king. 
And uh, a bit of it also came from reading public policy at Oxford. Because, uh, you know, very often when we design um, public infrastructure or policies or even simple forms, an income tax form or an income tax um, uh, or a KYC form of a bank, something that we deal with on a daily basis, the, the user interface, how easy is it for the other person to, uh, you know, look at it? How does the information flow? All these things are now, I mean, I now look at it from a very clinical and from a very academic point of view, yeah. thanks to NEFT. But I would definitely say that I had always had that eye uh, right from childhood. Right. So so if I, because you mentioned Oxford, um, yeah. you know, if I can take you back a little bit. Right. Where did Oxford feature in all of these many things that, that you've done and you continue to do? And once, um, you know, you had that experience at mm. Oxford, mm. how did it, uh, you know, kind of dovetail and tie into yeah. the other things that you've uh, that you've done and uh, the other right. things that you work on. Um, so Oxford happened much later, much later. As in, that's my last acquired degree. Um, as late as 2015, I'm the matriculation year of 2015 in the School of Government. Um, so I had been, um, you know, thinking and toying with the idea of doing a study abroad. So that way, the Government of India is one of the best employers you can think about because it does give two years of paid study leave. Mm -hmm. So I was wanting that and, um, and you know, I was waiting for my child to reach uh, a certain age where she can be independent and, you know, um, yeah. and then, so, you know, when she was in class five, I made this plunge, I applied and, you know, I was selected. Uh, so 15 September, I started my course in Oxford, that too in public policy. I'm uh, a graduate in modern uh, Indian history. I've read history in JNU, modern Indian history. Uh, both at my undergrad as well as grad. Uh, and then, of course, during the training, you are exposed to public administration and, you know, your constitutional law and things of that sort. But uh, th there was a time when, you know, I felt that, you know, studying this again, again, yeah. one of those curiosity and wonders, right, and, you know, right, and, yeah. and never wanted to um, sort of break my uh, academic journey as well. So I was always a straight-A student, a university topper, rank holder. I bet you were. <laughs> <laughs> Things of that sort. So that's always been, academics has always been my first love, you know. Right. And, and one of the reasons why I went into NIFT was also the, the, the sheer joy of being in a college and at the same time being in uh, administration. Uh, so uh, Oxford then, I mean, you know, I had, so there were a couple of these schools. Uh, there's LKY in Singapore, there's Harvard, there was Oxford. Uh, but what clinched in favor was that, you know, Oxford program was one year. And then that was, uh, you know, trying to balance out uh, the, the mother guilt and, you know, all that. Right. So I thought, okay, and, and UK being closer, I thought a 10-hour flight, I mean, I can be uh, home. Um, and rather than U.S. So all those things. So eventually, a lot of times when we make a decision, it's not only for its own sake, but all your ancillary circumstantial things, which eventually uh, lead you to a certain decision. So And a fabulous one year of mixing around with more than 100, 150 students from all across the world who are practitioners of public policy. So they are in government, they are in non-governmental sector, they are in private sector. So two, three things that really... Uh, opened me up to one, you know, we, I went in with around 15 years of experience with, mm -hmm. within the government. And there's a, there was a certain mistrust with the private sector. You know, in India, you know, we look at government and private sector as being dichotomous, as being, I mean, you know, on the opposite sides and right. et cetera. But Oxford really helped me to see that this is actually a continuum or a flow. And that, in I mean, what you know, way? In, in it, because way? we are all multiple stakeholders in the same ecosystem. I mean, if we are, especially in the taxation system, uh, you know, we are looking to maximize tax revenue and at the same time, I mean, build capital for the private sector so that they can invest more 
uh, and then and and to that extent, how do we make this easy? How do we make it user friendly? And how do we make it less coercive? Yeah. Because you know it's not very easy for people to part with their money uh, in terms of taxation, me and you included. So that um, and then uh, the second thing, I was you know I was in my mid thirties when I went into classroom, uh, and so I was sitting also with kids who were or students who were in their early twenties who were the road scholars and kick ass kids who were you know who had been there done that and it was so invigorating uh, to be with them and to understand where they come from because clearly there is a generational divide and yet we were all in the same classroom you know as yeah. as one student community third um, also because i was deeply interested in culture and a lot of colonial i read colonialism uh, at jnu um, so this was colonial History. Indian history. Yeah. So modern Indian history uh, much has to do with, you know, the uh, not only the freedom struggle, but the foreign uh, powers, the European foreign powers, and then the theory of colonialism around which this entire power right. structure is built up. Okay. And then it's it's all in UK, right? It's all yeah. in London. And, you know, so you have the Bodleian Library and, you know, a lot of these artifacts and manuscripts from India are there. I love how you described your growing up years in, in Kotem. Yeah. Um, and Kotem is quite close to my heart because we go there for Christmas. Right. Uh, you know, I'm married to somebody from uh, Kerala. And um, I, um, uh, you know, I'm just wondering when you were growing up, mm. right, what were your first memories mm. Of um, of noticing, mm. like actively noticing that male and female roles are different. Right. And I'm asking you this because I think a lot of the work that you do mm. now and mm. a lot of the things that you've spoken about right. kind of seem to have that very strong awareness. Yeah. You know of, of yeah. where yeah. you you kind of place yourself in in this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I belong to this you know community called Serin Christian. Right. Um, and we are a very small uh, community in in Kerala and. Um, uh, deeply patriarchal, uh, right. I would say, and um, you know, uh, with very strong women uh, at the center. So there is a certain dichotomy that I've had to deal with right from childhood. I see absolutely brilliant women, very well educated, around me, but none of them work outside home, and all their energies and all their capabilities are focused on their kids and their home. So you know, uh, it would be fabulously cross-stitched chair backs to the most amazing cakes and desserts to the lavish uh, spread um, and, and lavish spread on the table and, and you know, a, a capacity uh, to, to execute something, mm -hmm. you know, and execute it well. Really uh, well. Yeah, yeah really yeah. well. You put your heart and soul into yeah, it. Yeah, into it. So that's something that, I mean, you know, uh, so my mother's mother, my mom, uh, my dad's sister, these are all very strong women that I have, uh, you know, grown up around. And I always thought that, you know, but yet have a role which is, which is, which is not at the center, but at the periphery. Yeah. Um, and that dichotomy is something that I have tremendously been angry about. And that's one emotion that, you know, uh, that's something that, you know, my family would also say that, you know, uh, so there was this one instance when I wanted to sit at the head of the table and my grandmother said that, no, the, the, the boy, the boys sit at the head of the table. And that's a very distinct memory in, in You Kotem. mean boys, meaning there was a child who was sitting at yeah, the head of cousin, the table? Yeah, my cousin, uh, my cousin, my first cousin, the boy who would, you know, again, since it's patriarchal, I mean, you know, the property comes down the, yeah. uh, uh, the, the son's line. 
which is what Mary Roy had to fight, Ariniti right. Roy's mother had to fight uh, up until Supreme Court and, you know, get that established that women do have property rights in their father's uh, bet. So, um, so you know, so when I wanted to sit at the table, so she she said, no, I mean, you know, the, uh, the, he will sit, uh, X will sit. And why? Why? Because, I mean, you know, the, the family name is continued by the boys. You actually asked why? Yeah. So, you know, she said, I mean, you know, you will be married off to another family. You are not from this family. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's like you're a, you're a temporary guest in your own house. Yeah. And yeah. The, the real deal or the real thing is when you get married and that will be your family. So that anticipatory thing, you know, not, not really here. And you're always on some sort of a transit role in your own home. That I distinctly recall. And uh, my granddad uh, was a priest in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so he would take us, uh, take me, my brother, and my other first cousin to the church for afternoon prayers. So while he is, um, so I'm, I'm sure you've seen the Syrian Christian church. So I'm an Orthodox Syrian Christian. Uh, and, you know, this church is Jake White uh, Syrian Christian. So right. the, the altar is an elevated uh, and always covered with a curtain. Um, and, you know, the, the lay people stand uh, below. Uh, so he would go for, into the altar where the curtains are drawn and, you know, he would have his secret prayers. Uh, and one day he decided to take the boys to the altar mm -hmm. to show them the uh, altar. And, you know, so very ceremoniously and, you know, very uh, reverently he ushered these boys. And I was waiting, thinking that, you know, next is mine. It's going to be Yeah, you. next is my turn. So I must have been 10, probably 9 or 10 sort of thing. And I was never taken. And I yeah. was so heartbroken. I was so heartbroken. I mean, even... Now to think about it is uh, a deep deal of trauma and tears. Uh, and I remember standing there forever. And these boys are inside. Uh, my granddad is also inside. And I'm waiting in this capacious church all alone, thinking that I'm going to be called, which never happened. And, and then again, that's because you're a girl. So girls are never allowed into the altar. So... You know, the, so, you know, these sort of double standards and these sort of uh, things, it's not on who you are or what you are. It's just for being a girl. I mean, you know, and it made no sense to a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old to be told that, you know, you cannot go to the altar. And to date, I think, I mean, you know, the, the Syrian Orthodox will not allow the girls to be altar boys, uh, no women as priests, uh, But when I went into Oxford again, I mean, you know, God was kind. I did uh, read the Bible for the altar in St. Cross College, where I was uh, part of. So, you see, Kadambri, I mean, you know, um, when we go through something, there is always a back history to it, that which is not always visible or which is not always very apparent or clear. But that anger has I have always held on to in my hand, uh, in my and mind. And hurt, I think. I mean, yeah, that's that hurt, and you know, that uh, you know, that that anger. So. Uh, so, you know, when I stand up, and it's not only for me, uh, myself, that I stand up. I do stand up for, the, for, for anyone who I feel is wronged. So if I'm walking by the road, um, you know, and if somebody is tr not treating someone well, a roadside vendor, I do stand up because I have a deep sense of justice and a wrong that is being committed to him. Situations that are no longer in Kerala, it could be anywhere yeah. else in India yes. or in the world even, yes, and absolutely. it's the same... Uh, thing that kind of perpetuates itself. Absolutely. Right? So, uh, you know, being a Malayali and growing up in Kerala is 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 a is a mixed bag in the sense that you are <laughs> you know you are in a you are in a greatly invigorating intellectual atmosphere. Right. Because you know this is one place where literacy is its highest. You know where mass media coverage is very high. Everybody gets a newspaper. You have street side discussions on the local politics. Everybody is, you know, politically very aware, have strong views on their politics. 
Yet in terms of women's rights, even though we have the best of the indices comparable to that of Europe, so I remember sitting in classes uh, in Oxford and, you know, glowing with pride when it comes to talking about the Kerala model of development. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you have the Panchayati Raj devolution, you have Kudumbashri, you have high literacy, you have maternal mortality rate, which is one, which is the lowest in, in India. In India? And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the institutional deliveries where women deliver in hospitals and clinics, those that's also one of the highest. Yet when it comes to property rights and yet when it comes to daily living, these insidious, innocuous ways of sexism and patriarchy, it's so strong you have to be, you know, you have to really live through it to sort of, you know, uh, experience. So that's that's excruciating um, in more ways than one. Eventually, when you talk about women's rights and all this stuff, it's the hundred million ways you die every single day in these small, small things, which nobody talks about. So we are all very well educated. Uh, yes, I mean, I've been to some of the best institutions in the whole wide world. And yet when I go to Kerala, uh, there is something in me that clenches and, you know, that tightens up because I'm supremely aware that, yeah, the environment is not probably the best for uh, a woman to be around. The girl math, as they call it, you know, the constant girl <laughs> math thing, you know, um, that, yeah, I have to be home before such and such time, not only for terms of safety, but also as a primary caregiver, I should be uh, inside. And, you know, the girl math thing, which starts by 3, 4 in the evening, that what is to be cooked for dinner? Is it dead? Should I swiggy it? Uh, no matter uh, how busy you are, yeah, yeah, it, no it matter works. how demanding yes, your work. Yes, it, it does work on your mind. So that's why I feel that, you know, a woman's mind and a brain is not totally free completely to herself or to develop herself freely. And that nobody factors. You're talking about when you when you were eight or nine or ten. Yeah. And these were the first experiences yeah. that, that you're recounting, uh, Susan. I think at some point, you know, yeah. so by the time you were a college going girl, there was a certain kind of acceptance that possibly had come in, which which I think we've all been through, right? right. And then some of that has probably stayed with you into, into who you are today. And, yeah. you know, I, I'd love to talk about that as well. Um, so I went into an all-girls college. Uh, so, so my greater part of school education was also in all-girls, um, you know, schools. I went to St. Teresa's College in um, Ernakulam. Uh, so, you know, where, again, a lot of strong women, uh, and in fact, I've talked about this many times uh, over that, you know, one of the strongest influences in my life has been Reverend Sister Emlyn, who was a principal then. Um, you know, she just celebrated her 80th birthday and, you know, continues to be such an inspiration for me even now. Mm -hmm. um, and I always tell her that, you know, it's her prayers and her well wishes that I always feel enveloped by before uh, I get into something. So uh, in an all-girls um, college or an environment, life is a lot more fair. It did grow me in a lot of um, good ways because I grew up in confidence. I grew up thinking that, I mean, you know, the world is mine. I can speak my mind. And a lot of my public speaking skills were also perfected during that time So I, because I was constantly behind the mic, either comparing or speaking or things of that sort. So uh, it really shaped me. Those five years really shaped me into, you know, what I was going to be. Speaking of the narratives mm. of women, right? Mm. The experiences of women. And I think we just kind of touched upon it yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you also uh, went to JNU, mm. right? This right. very iconic place. Um, and you studied history there. Mm. Um, so I am a history buff, right? I'm right. not an academic historian. I, I don't know anything much about it, but I grew up in a in a household and in a family where my, yeah. my father is from JNU, by okay. the way, where he did history. Right. So we grew up with with this sort of in the atmosphere mm. in the house, mm. you know. Um, 
one of the reasons that Iconic Women Project started yeah. is because um, I started to realize when I started to read about this right. that women are just kind of lobotomized from a lot yeah. of historical narratives. They just True. they're just not there. Um, and but but the facts are that that they were kind of shoulder to shoulder with right. with the men, and they they were very very influential in right. kind of many situations, many places. Don't you think it's time that that started to yeah. be woven back into absolutely. into historical work? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you know the the one um, good sort of uh, what shall we say the trope that was uh, you know through which we were taught history was a subaltern view uh, when we were in JNU. So the subaltern is you know history from the bottom uh, up. So not only the history of the kings and the queens, but also of the masses, the riots, the farmers, and you know the um, you know how the potter and you know the the, the clay uh, artist. I mean, you know, all of them lived and what was their attitudes and what was their uh, you know view and take on the times. And then closely woven into it is also the gender uh, perspective uh, on history, wherein you know you don't always talk history from the point of the man, uh, but also from the point of women. And I feel that you know it's always been a little unkind because um, you know you you the, the women come into the picture only in terms of uh, a subsidiary role as a wife or the sister because you don't have claim to the throne by way of the uh, succession lines, isn't it? I mean you know that clearly excludes. So it's not because the women are less meritorious or it's not because the women are less qualified or less worthy than the men. But the law of the land or the culture or the precedent, the cultural precedent is such that that you know they don't or they do not have the right to. So you're excluded from discussions. You're excluded from the proceedings in the court. You have to be in the zanana. Mm -hmm. You know you have to be veiled. The customary practices that clearly excludes uh, a, a lot of uh, women from uh, the daily uh, machinations of power and you know things of that sort. That one, and then there are also path-breaking women who have done a lot, whose story is not told enough. And you know, um, you, you you talk about a scientist by way of uh, you know, let's say, for example, Janaki Amal, a botanist uh, who did path-breaking work in botany. You know, nobody knows uh, about her. You talk about Padmanaja, Padmaja Naidu, um, you know, who who went on to teach in many of the foreign universities. Nobody knows. Uh, Rukmini Devi uh, Arundel, um, you know, fabulous revival, um, you know, artist and Kalakshitra foundress and all of them. I mean, it's very recently that you know their biographies are being released, again because women themselves are sort of taking interest in their ilk and saying that yeah, these stories need to be told and these are path-breaking women whose lives need to be shared not only as inspiration, but also for their rightful place in, in the history, in medical history, or in, I mean, you know, in, in scientific history. And so, so this entire movement of having more women in STEM um, and all that, it makes right. a lot of difference. So in fact, when we, uh, you know, when I think it was in 2019 or 20, we did a mural uh, with the NIF students in uh, Whitefield Railway Station. And when we were ideating, uh, we were talking about how Whitefield Railway Station is the Silicon Valley, and you know, it's it's like the software capital and all that. And so when we, uh, so you know, first up, we all think about Charles Babbage because he's the founding, right. yeah, father. But there is also Countess Ada Lovelace, who was 
by his side, if not having done a lot of computing and coding uh, by herself. And history has completely obliterated Which she was not her, credited for at all. Yeah, from the pages. So if you go to Whitefield Railway Station, you will see that, you know, both Ada Lovelace and uh, Charles Babbage sit side by side along an analytical <laughs> engine. Okay. So you need that visibility and you need those stories to be told in whatever format. I mean, whether it be a wall mural, whether it be Instagram reels or whether it be in textbooks. So you need a carpet bombing of sorts to uh, bring these women back into life and share the... Uh, and it was much harder. It was definitely much harder because now, thanks to the work that many of these women have done, we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know? Giants. So, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have to fight for voting rights, suffragettes. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, India had, uh, you, you know, voting rights for women long before a lot, lot many other European countries did. Um, you know, property rights, etc., etc. So we are at a better position than many uh, before, uh, you know, wherein crossing the seas or going abroad to study and, uh, you know, the pressure to get married early and have children and discontinue studies, not being able to pursue a career. This can really be killing from within, you know. So to that extent, I feel that, you know, this is a very, very good time because there are a lot of initiatives, I mean, including what, what you guys are doing. Um, and, you know, a lot of CTs, uh, a lot of dedicated platforms who are, you know, trying to bring these stories back. Um, into the mainstream. Yeah. yeah. In, in bigger or smaller ways. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's about time. Yes, you know? absolutely. As a civil officer, uh, there, there is this impression that we all have of this Sarkari Babu, <laughs> right? And I think it's so embedded yeah, in all yeah. our minds True. forever. True. Um, how do you think that can change? <laughs> I think, um, you know, there is a certain sense of entitlement with which we approach a government officer, you know. And one of the most common things that I've heard is, you know, we pay your salary. Mm. You know, it's, it's that sense of entitlement with which a lot of people approach, uh, you know, civil servants or, you know, any, any functionary of the government. I mean, we pay our taxes, so you get your salary sort of thing, which is a very skewed mathematical uh, equation. But we'll, we'll let that uh, equation lie uh, aside or we'll keep that aside. Um, and I, I think um, probably, I mean, you know, historically, the, the way we have built these stereotypes of uh, Sarkari Babu, the, the file pusher. Yeah. So whether it be from uh, a peon uh, who's, you know, carrying files to someone who's really high up, I mean, you know, um, let, let's say an IAS officer or, you know, the, the most visible, a district magistrate yeah. or a collector or, or a police superintendent and things of that sort. So uh, th that has not been very flattering. The portrayal have not always been flattering. Sure. So invariably, it's it's been about corruption. It's been about casteism. It's been about nepotism. Which, Bureaucracy. Yeah, you know, and, and red tapism. And all of this, which are negative words, rather than looking at it as, as, as facilitation or, you know, change agents or things of that sort. And that, to a great extent, has to deal with our history. Uh, where, you know, we were a colonial, uh, you know, uh, subject and, you know, most of these low-level staff, the, the higher-ups would be the Brits and, you know, the low-level staff would be the Babus. And so that Babu or Babudam in itself is a colonial vestige. And then once independence happened and we had an independent civil service and all that stuff, uh, many of the institutions continued uh, and, you know, so the, the image also sort of continued. Yet, uh, you know, the, the there is... A lot of things that we have done, uh, a lot of things still need to be, uh, you know, get together and uh, done together. But I had given a TEDx on this as well. I mean, my very first TEDx in right. 2018 was on this, that, you know, how, uh, why working in the government is lit. 
that, that, that. Yeah, so I gave it in choice school in Ernakulam. So, you know, I was trying to sell this idea that the best uh, of the country, I mean, the best of the young talent should come and join the government. And that's one sad thing that's happened that, you know, um, that, that there are a lot of fresher avenues and government is not looked at as a good employer uh, option. And actually, you know, the, the money is not uh, great, but it's not bad either. Uh, but compared to an MNC life or, yeah. uh, you know, the, the money is definitely not comparable. But at the same time, I mean, you know, when you look at, you know, you can never approach this as a job. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's more than a job because unless you have a very, very strong rootedness in your country and a deep desire to be change agent and, you know, uh, to be that one force which can make or move a few lives here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And and so my aspiration has always been to not do great big things, but mm -hmm. you know do small things with great deal of love and you know compassion and, and you know repeatedly and, and repeatedly and consistently. And I'm, I'm I'm sure that you know if if each of that each of us I mean you know have that work ethic in whatever we do, then that can percolate and make efficiency a uh, uh, a great ideal to sort of uh, thing. I mean the kind of digital penetration that we have in India, and you know you you one has to give it to the government and the and the bureaucracy that you know the kind of you can uh, you know lodge a complaint online, uh, you know and and. Uh, the digital infrastructure that we have, you can get a vada uh, pao on the road and pay uh, through Paytm. And, you know, uh, your, I pay my laundry guy, the guy who presses my saris through Paytm. That's the kind of digital penetration that we have uh, achieved. You know, or for that matter, a traffic policeman, a constable on the road. In Delhi's smog, uh, where your eyes are watering, your head is uh, heavy, and you know all this stuff. So you get into offices, switch on your air conditioners, your air purifiers. But that one guy who is on the road managing traffic, and eight or ten hours of duty. I mean, my heart goes out to him, and that nobody else but the government will do for you. Mm. So we need to give a lot more credit to the kind of uh, stuff that we have done and we have achieved, while also acknowledging and accepting that a lot more needs to be done. Uh, you know, you've um, you've described these uh, dusty files coming out of mm, cupboards, yeah. in, you know, very remote places where you've right. been posted, and you've you've even described like snakes coming out yes. with the files. Yes. Uh, and and yet you stuck around, you yeah. know. So so what is that big idea that that you believed in that that made you do this? Yeah. So definitely the idea of India has always been, uh, you know, a very very romantic notion, uh, so to speak. I mean, so you see, I've worked. Uh, a larger part in Karnataka and also in Rajasthan, two states other than my own home state of Kerala. I've never worked as a professional in Kerala, though my student years were there. Yet there has been um, always that thread of unity that runs across everywhere, that as an Indian, uh, and even this entire idea of a, of a bureaucrat who can be posted anywhere in India from, I mean, you know, from um, Kashmir to Kanyakumari to, let's say, Jodhpur to... Um, uh, anywhere, I mean, you know, you, you can be posted. And that's a tremendous opportunity. And I've loved the travel. I've loved the exposure to different cultures. And I'm, I'm at home uh, eating a dalbati churma and at the same time having, uh, you know, to eat a sadhya on a banana leaf. Yeah. As someone who really believes in this idea of India, yeah. right, as you put yeah. it, as someone who's worked for it and yeah. continues to do so, yeah. uh, what would you say we're doing right at, at a national level? I think uh, at a national level, I mean, you know, especially uh, with the Honorable Prime Minister's initiatives, we are for the first time taking a lot of pride in who we are. Mm. Um, so there's, there, there's uh, a lot of media and initiatives and, you know, a lot of initiatives to bring to fore the stories 
uh, the, the vocal for local, for instance, the hashtag that uh, right. Prime Minister Modi ji made very, very famous and which, you know, which I invariably use in almost all the Instagram captions when I'm writing about uh, hand loom and textiles. It's a brilliant one because, you know, your global, um, uh, so, you, you know, the, the entire fashion trend of global is being global and at the same time local. And, and, you know, to spin that on the head and, you know, bring to fore the art, the culture, the dance, the food and everything. And the way they showcased it for G20 uh, about being vocal for local, yet being, you know, the Vishwaguru or the, the international, the spiritual leadership and, um, you know, the potential that is within that country. I think uh, this sort of a narrative I'm seeing for the first yeah. time and I'm loving yeah. that. Uh, for the first time, I mean, you know, the government is being spoken about. The government is doing things in a grand scale. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we are not cutting corners anymore. We are not constrained by having to shrink and having to do something small in a sarkari way uh, with an inverted commas. Yeah. But we are doing things in style. And I like uh, how it's sort of blossomed out unapologetically, unabashedly uh, coming out into the fore. Uh, that sort of self-assertion and self-pride that is coming, I think, yeah. you know, that, that I'm loving uh, at the moment. I was uh, recently invited to NIFT, hmm. you know, to NIFT Bangalore, to, okay. to be on their jury. Right. And I remember seeing, I'd never been to the building before, hmm. and I remember seeing this really large yeah. mural of Pupul Jaikar. Yes. Um, you know, and that kind of struck home with me on, on many hmm. fronts. But, um, uh, you know, is, is, is Pupulji someone you met? Is she someone who inspired you in in any way in a you know sort of outside of your mm. scope as director mm. of NIFT mm. but but as a person because yeah. she was so larger than life right and there's her legacy is just staggering yeah. so there's there's NIFT there's NID there's INTAC there's IGNCA yeah. and I'm sure there's so many other yeah. institutes that yeah. I'm that I'm missing out so was she someone who who left uh, an impression on you so um so, you know, as, as I said, I didn't come to NIFT by default. I mean, you know, it was that there was a definite uh, intent with which I went in. And, you know, that mural of Pupul Jaikar was one of the first projects, the very first project, design project that I undertook in the campus. This was, I took over in 2018, August, and this must have been Feb, Jan, Feb, March. I mean, you know, the ideation through Jan and, you know, we had got an artist on board uh, to work with the students. Um, so it was also to give experience of the student, experience to the students about scaling up and you know having a project uh, starting from the planning to the execution stage, and also an alarming level of ignorance among the young people about these stalwarts uh, who have <laughs> you know really who've built uh, this country. So I thought that I mean you know what better way than to have her on the facade. So when I came, it was a plain textured wall with the uh, National Institute of Fashion Technology written in uh, brass. And then we, we took that down and we thought, I mean, you know, murals are something that, I mean, you know, street art, wall art is something the kids really enjoy in NIFT. So we thought of, I mean, you know, having Pupul Jaikar, but at the same time having design elements of textiles and, you know, handlooms. So you, if you noticed carefully, we have given the Foda Kumba borders on the side. Right. And, you know, there is a cotton flower. And, and then the, the mural reads with love from the NIFT Bangalore, you know, Pupul Jaikar, the years, and then with love from NIFT Bangalore. Um, so, uh, Pupulji again, uh, you know, I, I really love women who are able to pack in a lot in their lifetimes. You know? <laughs> I'm so, sure you do. Yeah. So again, uh, you know, what you listed out, uh, look at the over of what she has done. I mean, you know, setting up NID um, and in, in an institute of design in a, in a post-independent country, which is dealing with um, balance of payment issue with partition and whatnot. And then you have the India report by uh, Charles and Ray Eames and, you know, building it on into an institute of design uh, in, in Ahmedabad. 
and then in the 80s to come up with a fashion uh, institution as well. So even in my TEDx, I have touched upon this, that, you know, how aspiring and how brilliant this country is that, you know, okay, I mean, you know, we do have issues of poverty and casteism and all that stuff to deal with, but also we are, you know, setting up our IITs and our IIMs and, you know, our NIDs, our NIFTs. Pupilji is someone, again, I mean, you know, her, her, her vast capacity to build institutions. And that's a legacy that I really admire in her. It's not about undertaking small projects and then dying with the person, but it's about institutions that have continued beyond her and will continue beyond her. So, and then, then her tremendous amount of work with the Krishnamurti Foundation, the interviews that she has had with... Uh, right, with Jiddu Krishnamurti. Yeah, with Jiddu um, and and uh, you know, in fact, I had visited Rishi Valley, and you know, I had met with uh, her daughter Radhika ji, and gone through her uh, books and her collections. I, I I strongly strongly look up to her as someone, and and I wish there are institutions that 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 get on to be created uh, more. I mean, this is now probably one generation behind. What are we doing in two thousands and twenty twenties? Uh, is it time for a, you know, for a version two to think of? And in that case, and what are the institutions that we would like to build? You know, who are the Pupiljakers who will come up now? And I always tell the students that, you know, and I hope there are more Pupiljakers amongst you who will create institutions and will Beautiful. work with the government. Yeah. And, and then that's a way of telling the young people to nudge them and to inspire them every day without actually breathing down their necks, you know. Um, you know, so so craft um, and and design, yeah. right? Uh, two of the things that Pupulji uh, kind of work closely yeah, with. Yeah. They were always meant to work together, mm. right? Um, but but now with, mm. with design education, is is design education today in India doing enough to move that needle forward? Mm. Because we have such a rich heritage yeah. of craft and textiles. Uh, is it integrating enough with design? I think, see, I have experience only of NIFT, and I can say that, I mean, you know, we are doing a brilliant job with it because we do have craft cluster initiative. When every semester the students are sent out into clusters, they work shoulder to shoulder with the artisans, and then we bring them back. We bring the artisans into the campus to sort of give them an idea about what the urban market is. We take them to stores. We take them um, and show them, I mean, you know, how a crossbody bag should look at, uh, should look like, how they can incorporate their embroidery into placement embroidery, mm -hmm. which can go on to, let us say, a tote bag, or, uh, you know, how probably the younger generation, like sleeker lines, less clutter, um, and, and so that visual experience makes it, um, and, and being with the students, they, they teach them about, I mean, camera work and about shooting reels on, you know, Instagram and putting it out there and placing your product in such a way that, you know, every little nuance is captured. These things become important. So it's been a two-way traffic wherein, you know, the students also benefit and the artisans also benefit with, uh, and then uh, our faculty also give very regular training programs to them. So we are doing a lot and a lot. Um, and, you know, we are also, um, even though I've left NIFT, I mean, I, I still say we, we, because we, there's yes. still a lot of emotional <laughs> connect to the institution. Other institutions like NID, uh, et cetera, are also doing a lot on um, this one. So many of the weaves have been revived thanks to their uh, efforts. You know, and a lot of NID graduates have uh, set up businesses and successful brands, yes. which are based. Very revivalist. Uh, yeah, which are very revivalist and based on, I mean, Handcraft, or even NIFT's famous alumni, Sabisachi or Anavila, all of them have uh, a lot of hand embroidery and hand woven elements into their, um, you know, range. So th that's there. I mean, you know, it's 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 inbuilt, and you cannot escape uh, a conversation and that air of handcraft if you're a NIFT.
this this beautiful indigo sari that you're wearing <laughs> does that come with a story as well uh well indigo is india right i mean i i don't think there is any other color in the world which is named after a country i mean and indigo oh, I is okay i yeah. didn't know that okay indigo yeah. is india it makes a lot of sense. yeah indigo is india i mean indigo is uh you know what the greek used to refer to india indicon and and this particular dye mm. used to come the natural uh, plant uh, dye used to come from india so indigo is from that so as as um as a color i think indigo breathes uh, india and then this is a jambani craft i mean it's an extra weft uh, you know a craft that is into the the and hand spun hand woven which is khadi that's the yeah. difference between a handloom and a khadi right khadi it still has to be the yarn has to be hand spun whereas a handloom i mean you know even if it is not hand spun so long as the fabric is woven in a loom it still gets the epithet of that and the the blouse is a dabu print resist print uh, this one so i try and incorporate small small elements of handcraft because that that's an identity that i'm i'm deeply proud of um, and i want to wear it literally on the sleeve you know so mm. even in oxford i used to wear a lot of sarees the class photographs and you know the i had a chance to meet um, uh uh prince william uh, you know during the inauguration of the building so i wore a kanchipuram uh, even at that time so so that that's something i deeply hold uh, very close to my heart as well so out of all your you know kind of many facets there's there's also afsarnama <laughs> right. right which is the name of your handle, your instagram yeah, handle of mine um and and this this role as an influencer mm. i i see that you know you kind of pack so many thoughts information knowledge into your posts into your captions um and and you know you're talking about craft but you're also talking about students you're talking about education right um you're talking about so many other things you know uh, i know that you are a role model to thousands of of young students um what does it what does it take to be that role model and and what is it that you're trying to convey through through afsarnama it's it's a scary proposition that you know the the role model bit of it because uh we are all fallible we are all human beings and you know it's it's not always been that i've been the darling of the students or you know i have had very very tough times as well with them because there's been a lot of trolling on certain issues and things like that hate comments and uh, blah 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 but i have consistently maintained a certain stand that this is who i am and this is how i will navigate the post of being a campus director and i think uh, that uh, has been with a lot of love but also with a lot of authority as as i would say where i've had to take tough stand on you know uh, on a reexamination or attendance and things of that sort i have taken decisions um and and uh, but uh, when it comes to caring for them and you know booking them uh, tickets or you know sending them in an air conditioned uh, train for an event or giving them breakfast on the go um or you know providing bananas and boiled egg on the staircase every morning so that you know these kids have something in their tummy before they go into the classroom so it's a lot of tenderness and love because i do understand that i'm i'm uh, i'm almost double their age and you know i'm, I'm my stakeholders are half my age literally i mean you know i have a child who is i have a daughter who is a teen who is 18 now and that's the age that my students are in so it's it's a tight rope walk because you are a caregiver but at the same time an authoritative figure and it can never be a very impersonal sort of way in which you handle uh, or which you would maneuver yourself in a ministry of finance or as an income tax commissioner or things like that i know most of my students by name um you know most of them have the ma at some point of time uh, even in midnight or early morning or you know whatever so i i always tell them that you know if you have a problem 
before it escalates into something that I can't control, please put me in the loop. You know, Instagram would like us to believe that you have to do niche. Uh, so if I'm doing something on handlooms or sarees, then you yeah. know, stick to that brief. Or if I'm doing uh, women's issues, then stick to that. But I'm someone who dabbles in a lot of things, and so the handle also reflects not a niche segment, but in a week I may post about sarees, I may post about women's issues, I may post about something that's relevant to youngsters. Um, and and, and uh, different segments probably. And so it's a roller coaster ride. Sometimes you, you hit a viral reel, you get the numbers, sometimes the numbers drop. Yet it's grown me up also a lot, Kadamri. I mean, you know, being on social media because it's toughened me up a lot. Really? Yeah, it's toughened me up a lot. Because, because of the trolling that you mentioned? Yeah, because of the trolling, because of the unkind comments that come in. And, you know, you eventually realize that it's nothing to do about you. It's nothing to do with you. I mean, you know, it's... In fact, um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, this actress who, you know, who said this very... Uh, humorously that, you know, watch Chintu things in Chandigarh, sitting in Ch Chandigarh should not be of any consequence to you because Chintu brings in so many of his own troubles and things into that caustic com comment that he is going to make on your mm -hmm. post. And it's true that, uh, you know, your tone and any way in all these things, you, you have a word limit. You are able to squeeze in only right. so much. So people can accuse you of this and that and unkind and privileged and, you know, that and this and all that stuff without an iota of knowledge of what you have gone through. Uh, in life, there are so many parts of me that are not out there on social media, you know, so which which others do not know, and you really cannot form an opinion on the character or uh, on on a person based on, I mean, you know, uh, twenty of her posts or twenty of her captions. Um, one of the many things you speak about on Afsar Nama is is women's issues, right? Um, one thing that I just can't understand, right, is why is the word feminist so scary? And not only men, but women. And women who care about these issues say, yeah, you know what, I care about these issues, but I'm not a feminist. What's wrong with the word? What's the problem with it? I, um, so you know, even my Insta bio reads very clearly as a feminist. Uh, so that's right. something that I wear very proudly on my, uh, you know, on my sleeve as a badge uh, of honor. Uh, and, and it's also because what we said earlier, that you know, a lot of things have been given to us on a platter. So we have really not had to struggle with it. So one really, uh, so, you know, ask someone who has fought the independence war, uh, you know, in, in 47, been there in 47, you know, being a participant of Quit India movement. And for them, independence means something else than being born into an independent country in the 70s or the 80s. And, yeah. you know, uh, so, so with each generation, I think, you know, it, it changes because they have not seen the struggle. They have not seen what, what it was like before, uh, you know, the scenario was this equal. Not, not still quite there, but we, we are somewhere there. So um, I think, uh, and also this sort of villainization, you know, uh, and the stereotype of this bra burning um, uh, or, or, you know, uh, men hating uh, sort of thing, which is which is not true. Again, one of those stereotypes that one has to live with, you know. So, and that played out so much when Hillary Clinton was fighting the election, right? And then Madeleine Albright said that um, there's a special place in hell reserved for women who do not support women. Uh, and and so, as as uh, you know, from her standpoint, was being a seasoned diplomat and in her 70s, and uh, you know, she being having worked in policy and White House for long having crashed a few glass ceilings and still not being able to crash a few glass ceilings, uh, you know, it, that's a completely different context than uh, saying that to an 18-year-old 18, 18 woman who has not had to go through such experiences. So there is 
And, and one thing that I feel is that, you know, feminism cannot be a blanket term anymore. It has to be heavily nuanced depending on, you know, which part of the world you are in and, you know, which community you belong to and which religion you follow and the historical experiences that each of us have been subjected to. Um, and that acknowledgement of nuances has somewhere probably dimmed the light for the word. But that we are talking about, I mean, you know, uh, uh, someone who has a deeper understanding of feminism. But otherwise, I, I find that, I mean, you know, I find it quite irresponsible when young women say that, you know, I'm not a feminist or, you know, I, I don't want to be called a feminist or things of that sort because you don't understand, uh, you, you know, what, what it means in the real sense. So it's anyway, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. We all evolve as, as individuals and what we are at 20 is not what we are at 30 or 40 or 50 yeah. or whatever. So a lot of this vocalness or, you know, vociferous denial of being a feminist I see comes from younger women. Mm. And and I hope, I mean, you know, as they, as they um, or I don't know whether it's a refusal to be put into any sort of, uh, you know, uh, naming or a tagging or whatever. Um, so I, I do hope that, you know, irrespective of the tags and the brands or whatever, um, there is still women... Um, eager to take up space, eager to raise questions, raise uh, voice for the other, for themselves. And when you do all that, you do, you are becoming a feminist. You are a feminist. And so why not embrace it wholeheartedly? Yeah, and call it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah and call it out. Yes, absolutely. You know, Susan, I see um, so many threads sort of connecting the different things that you do, the different issues that you care about. What makes you do what you do? What are you working towards? Is there a bigger goal? What do you want to leave behind? Have you ever thought of that? You know, what, what's the legacy that you're building? I do what I do because it gives me a lot of joy. And that's one thing that I've always, always followed in life that, you know, the, the moment it ceases to be of any joy or, you know, uh, ceases to challenge me in any manner, I, I just quit. I mean, whether it be relationships or whether it be job profiles or whether it be something, I quit it without remorse. Um, and, and that becomes very important. And I don't regret having put in uh, so many hours into it and still it came into nothingness or whatever because I do, I do think that everything eventually will connect. Everything will eventually, I mean, you know, sort of play itself out. So I would really, um, to, the, to the lives that I have touched or to the lives that I have interacted with, young people mostly of late, I would, uh, I would really be glad if they remember uh, that, I mean, you know, this was also a way of doing things mm -hmm. with a great deal of love, yeah. with a great deal of tenderness, yet uh, combining a lot of strength and authority because, you know, you, you are able to take decisions with strength and authority when you're clear in your head. If right. you stay confused... And if you have a lot of, uh, you know, if your moral compass is not very clear and it's constantly wavering, you will never be able to take a tough stand on things. And that's one thing that I feel that, you know, a lot of us lack on because we keep sitting on the fence without taking decisions, hoping that, you know, in some sort of bryonic motion, everything will clear out or things will, maybe it will. But yeah. where you have to take a stand, and I constantly say this as well, that where you have to take a stand and voice an opinion, do it. I'm not sure you called it out specifically, you did talk about joy, you talked about so many other things, yeah. but I think uh, what I see at least, you know, is that there is um, a lot of meaning, mm. you know, so something, I think, uh, when it comes to you, it has yeah. to be deeply meaningful yes. in order for you to put Absolutely something in Absolutely, nailed know? it in the head. The, the word then becomes intent. 
uh, I do things with intent, uh, and I and you know it, and and, and I want to build an uh, ecosystem around me where everybody owns up their own. I mean, however small, big, great, uh, you know, you you don't wait to be uh, holding a public office or you know a grand position to do small things, but do everyday things with intent. A mother packing uh, lunch, uh, you know, a father packing, uh, you know, the school bag with intent, with love leaving small notes of, I mean, you know, encouragement and, you know, uh, signs of care, then that becomes a life well-lived. If there is one person, one mm. woman, mm. who you would um, say has really inspired you, mm. and again, I'm sure there's, it's not easy to just give yeah. me one person, but, but if you had to, who would you say? I've always been surrounded by very strong women, whether it be a school or a college principal to a grandmother or to an aunt. Uh, um, you know, so we carry a little bit of every, a little bit of something from everyone, isn't yeah. it? But at the same time, historically uh, speaking, I mean, you know, I do feel that, you know, uh, people like Popul Jaikar who have built institutions, Sarojini Naidu, I mean, you know, is someone who is, because of the fact that, you know, she's also a poetess, um, you know, and, and she, she held a lot of public office, she was in politics. She's one of the, uh, you know, a few women whose name stands out. Um, you know, in, in our freedom struggle, always by the side of, you know, Gandhi and uh, writing, reading. Um, and, and, you know, her poems have also been about the glory of India, uh, right. about the, the, the historical greatness of India. And, and, and so uh, I find I mean, a lot of resonance uh, with her. And um, I, I, I quite like her. I quite feel that, I mean, you know, these are women who packed up so much into their lives uh, and, you know, been... And, and decided to take the plunge into public life when it was not easy and when it was not the era to be, I mean, you know, uh, which was easy on them at all. So, uh, yeah, the Nightingale has always been... Okay, uh, <laughs> okay that's great to know. And, and as you know, um, on this podcast, one of the things that we do is that we dress our guest up as that woman that they, that they admire, you know. So, so I hope you're ready to be dressed as Sarojini Naidu. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, uh, being a history student, I mean, you know, uh, a serious uh, student of history, there's nothing more, uh, <laughs> you know, more, what shall we say, uh, lovelier end or a lovelier conclusion to this conversation than being dressed up as so. uh, in, in, in vintage, in retro, uh, this one. So I'm, I'm waiting and, you know, to see how it all pans out. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> This is the bit where I style our guest and transform her into her role model. As you just heard, Susan's iconic woman is the unforgettable nightingale of India, Sarojini Naidu. To watch me style Susan as her, head to our YouTube channel and check out the transformation complete with vintage tailoring and a retro filter. I'm so sure you're going to love it. Thank you so much uh, for coming on this podcast and for this really wonderful chat. Thank you for your time. Um, I, I feel like, you know, like you're a kindred spirit and in, in so many ways, we have so many things in common. Um, it's it's really been wonderful having you on Thank this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Kadmri. And I am a strong believer that, you know, we meet people uh, whose energies are aligned, you know, uh, and, and to that extent, I would say that, you know, it's, it's been a wonderful opportunity to look back and, you know, collect whatever I've done over the past five, six years and also retrace uh, how it was like uh, to be in childhood, growing up in the 80s of India uh, and then, you know, being uh, a late bloomer into social media and how it's, it's all sort of panning out now. So. 
um, thank you for this conversation and a lovely, lovely time. Appreciate your opening up, Sita. Yeah, thank you so much. And with that, we close this episode. I hope you enjoyed this session with stories straight from the heart. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch super inspiring narratives of more iconic women. Every new episode drops on Friday at 6 p.m.